Welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today on our show, we'd like to get a crop progress update from you. If you'd like to call in, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD, but we'd like to hear how are things going on your farm, what's crop looking like today, uh, how did planting turn out for you this spring, what are your prospects here in 2020. Uh, again, our number is 844-442-4743. You can email us radio at agphd.com or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute. Before we do, just talking about crop progress in our region of the country, we've had a cold bay. It hasn't been terribly cold. The low temperatures have actually been higher than normal, but the high temperatures have been lower than normal. So we've stayed in this kind of narrow range of temperature. We've had a lot of cloudy days in May. I certainly hope we don't have that in, in June, July, and August, or we're in trouble. But Anyway, it's uh, it's not like we had all that much rain, just super cloudy and cooler May in our region of the country. There's still a ways to go if you if you happen to see the USDA reports yesterday here in the United States. Uh, South Dakota, North Dakota, not doing so great on bean planting yet. I mean, it's actually not much behind normal, but it is certainly behind normal for North Dakota. Minnesota's actually way ahead. So it just depends on where you're at and if your farm happened to get some rains or not. And then one of the biggest factors, we've been talking about this a lot this spring, is just tile. Do you have good drainage? And we talked about this for a while yesterday as well. But man, that drainage thing, the tile just pays so well. And I know we talk about it all the time here, but the reason why we talk about it so much is because there are still hundreds of millions of acres that don't have good drainage. And when you don't have good drainage, all these other investments just don't pay off as well. And so then you get down because you go, well, I put on this fertilizer, I put on more nitrogen, I put on more phosphorus, whatever, that didn't pay. And, you know, the fungicide didn't pay as well. And no, I, I realize that nothing pays as well when you have poor drainage. So anyway, uh, we do talk about that a tremendous amount. And maybe we'll hear a little bit about that today in our crop progress reports. But right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. Brian, I got one from Mike on Twitter about rapid growth syndrome in corn. Oh, man. Got some plants <laughs> that are looking kind of white out there sporadically in the field, wondering if it's a herbicide issue, rapid growth syndrome, nutrient deficiency. What are we looking at? I like talking about some of the myths that are out there in agriculture, like the myth of food versus fuel, the myth of soybean nitrogen credit going into your corn, and something like this. Rapid growth syndrome in corn. <laughs> okay, if you've got some plants where you look out across your field, even driving 60 miles an hour down the road, oh, and by the way, that might not be your speed limit that you're allowed to drive in your area. In our area it is. We can go 65 on, on most roads, and we can go 80 on the interstate in South Dakota. So we drive fast out here. But anyway, the point is, whether you're going 55, 65, or 80, you can notice out in your cornfield, you go, hey, I got some corn plants where the top looks a little yellow. Um, that doesn't look right. Okay, so of course, who do you call first? Well, usually people will call the seed dealer and they'll blame something on the seed. And of course, it's not the seed's fault. Uh, but 
a lot of seed agronomists didn't know what it was, so they started calling it rapid growth syndrome. This is probably, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago we started hearing about this, and some agronomists were calling it rapid growth syndrome. I'm like, what? That's a made-up term. There's no such thing as rapid growth syndrome. And sure enough, we were correct. We What we did is we went out and did plant tissue tests on the plants that looked really green versus the plants that looked yellow. And what we consistently found is the plants that look yellow have a deficiency in something. Usually, it's zinc or sulfur. Now, I will say, and, and this is why, too, we talk so much about tissue testing and soil testing because... I like to think I'm a fairly smart agronomist. Darren's even better out in the field than I am. But neither one of us can figure out for sure 100% all the time, is that actually a sulfur deficiency or is it a zinc deficiency? What is it exactly? And maybe both things are low. Well, you don't know for sure unless you test it. So just test it. It, it costs like $20 to send a sample and maybe less at your lab. But all I know is you take some of those plants that are yellow, send them in for analysis and figure out what's wrong. Now, when it comes back and it says zinc or sulfur, you're going to go, oh, I better throw more zinc or sulfur on right now. And you certainly can. But please understand, with sulfur, sulfur is leachable. Sulfur will get down in your root system if you put it on. I mean, if, assuming you have some moisture yet this year, which I know you will. Uh, with zinc, it's not going to work that way. Zinc is like phosphorus. It barely moves in soil. So you can foliar feed it, and you could green stuff up you know, for a couple weeks, whatever. But the point is, regardless of whatever the deficiency is or was, you've already lost yield. You can't recover the yield you've already lost. So yes, you can make some adjustments now in season after you see these yellow things, but you need to adjust things for next year. Where we first started seeing this was around 20, 25 years ago, and it was on eroded side hills, and it was a zinc deficiency because Again, zinc doesn't move down in soil, just like phosphorus. So a lot of people over the years have put their zinc on top of the ground. They maybe have worked it in lightly, but it's in the top inch or two. Well, if you've got a steep side hill, what happens at that top inch or two of soil if you till it ever? <laughs> that, that two inches is going to wash down the hill. Well, what washes with it? Well, the pea and the zinc. And so that's where you end up with a lot more of these zinc deficiencies and phosphorus deficiencies. It's because of the soil erosion. So the point is we were able to go out in these areas, fix the zinc, no more yellow corn. All of a sudden, rapid growth syndrome doesn't exist anymore. So was it rapid growth syndrome? No. And don't let people tell you, oh, the plant's going to grow out of it. That's a bunch of nonsense. Yes, the plant will green up later, but you've already lost yield. We're not here to make crops look good. We're here to make yield and to make money. So you got to figure out what's the problem instead of listening to nonsense and people not knowing what they're talking about and saying, oh, it's rapid growth syndrome and it'll be fine. It'll grow out of it. No, no, no. Figure out what the problem is. Solve the problem. You can work on it this year, but more than anything, solve it for the future so it doesn't happen to you again. I hate lost yield. I hate lost money. And that's exactly what's happened with, what was his name again, Darren? Mike. <laughs> That's exactly what's happened with Mike, unfortunately. So, Mike, check it out with plant tissue analysis, figure out what's wrong, and fix it. Well, again, we'll get to crop progress updates coming up next. Worried about glyphosate-resistant weeds and grasses in your corn? Unleash the power of new Impact-Z herbicide and get the early post-application advantage you've been waiting for. Save $3 per acre when you combine Impact-Z with a qualifying insecticide purchase. Go to buy2save3.com for details. 
Y2 Save 3 is a service mark and Impact Z is a trademark owned by AMVAC Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. Agroliquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. When it comes to innovative herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. They've been bringing growers trusted brands like Panther, Credit Extreme, and Cheetah for decades, made right here in the USA. What's your favorite New Farm brand? Email it to turnuptheburn at newfarm.com and you'll be entered to win a monthly $1,000 product giveaway. In these challenging times, we know you're under pressure. New Farm's here to help. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Getting a crop progress update, and we'd love to hear from you. So our phone lines will be open all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head down to Kentucky right now. Got Eddie with us today. Good to hear from you, Eddie. Thanks for calling. Hey, you're welcome, Darren. Glad to hear from you. So what's happening down in your area? The crop's looking good? Well, there's not much going on down here. Uh, it's rain. And rained and rained. It, uh, about the time the ground gets ready to go, it'll come a shower of rain, half an inch, three quarters of an inch, and then we're down for another three or four days. There's been some planting going on. There were some beans that were up that got dinged by the frost, and we had a heavy frost here a couple weeks ago, dinged everything that was up and going. But uh, looks like it's kind of coming out of it and going to take off. But they've been in the ground about oh, I'd say five weeks, and they're only about three inches tall. So. <laughs> We're definitely behind. Wow, sounds like South Dakota. That's that's conditions we usually get up here. Wouldn't expect to see it this far south, but you guys really struggled this year. Yeah, we, my river bottom ground's been underwater six times since last fall. Wow. That's how much tides we've had here. But it comes and goes. It's not like where the guys were on the Mississippi and the Missouri where it just set and set and set. You know, it comes up, then it goes back off. But it's still, it's it's just... There's no way to get anything planted, and you got all those chunks to pick up and deal with. So it's it's definitely a struggle. Actually, it's worse for me this year than it was last year. You know, uh, when, this, this when time last year I was done. When it does dry out, is the next item of business finishing up some planting, or is it now to spray for broadleaf weeds? Well, it's actually both. Some of the fields that were that were sprayed that haven't been planted. Uh, it's still holding good enough that we can go ahead and plant and then come back after we get the plant. The main focus for me is going to be getting the seed in the ground now. We're done so late in the calendar year that, uh, you know, we're really going to have to hustle. We're probably going to run two planters, beans and corn, at the same time now and yeah. uh, try to get this thing in, and then we'll deal with the uh, weed issues 
you know, it's it's not really really bad, but uh, uh, it is you know something to think about. So uh, they're given, hopefully, they're given the same pattern all the way through Friday of this week, and then it's supposed to dry up. So I'm looking at Wednesday or Thursday of next week. We probably the ground will be in good enough shape. We can probably run. Yeah, just make this point for our non-farm listeners. They're always curious about, okay, you got a bunch of rain. Is that a good thing? Well, we aren't going to turn down the moisture a lot of years, but the problem is, like Eddie was pointing out, now he's got about five jobs that all have to be done at one time, and it's going to be some crazy hours and, and guys really, really pushing to get it all done. That's been the cool thing about agriculture that – we do get the job done. It's just, wow, it just gets to be a lot tougher when it's like this and you got to do all the work at the same time. So did you notice any difference? I know you've put some tile in in the past, Eddie. Did it make a difference or have you just had so much rain that, that it just didn't matter? No, it made a difference. I was actually scouting the field yesterday and the tiled fields would have planted today where the other tiled, the untiled fields were still too damp to plant. But I had about, you know, 50, 60 acres that would have run today, but then we got that half inch, three quarter of an inch rain yesterday afternoon, and so that knocked, you know, that knocked all that in the head. And I was showing my brother-in-law; he he really didn't understand about the moisture either. And I I picked up a a, a ball of mud and just made a mud pie, and I dropped it on the ground, and it was just hard as a rock. I mean, it never broke apart or anything. I said, when it's like that, you might as well leave the planter and shed because it, you're going to have sidewall compaction, and it's not going to close the furrow right. Just kind of all kind of problems. Even though a calendar says we should have went 15 days ago, there's no sense in uh, putting it to the ground and then having problems. So we're just being patient, doing maintenance on equipment, making sure everything's ready to go. When we do get ready to run, we're going we're gonna to put it in the ground, hopefully. Well, good luck to you, Eddie. That's probably the toughest job on the farm is being patient sometimes, but it's absolutely the right thing to do before you make a mess out there that you can't fix later on. Uh, speaking with Eddie down in Kentucky, uh, hoping for some sunshine for you real soon. Eddie, thanks for calling. Love to talk to you, and uh, and good luck. Well, thank you, Darren. Good luck to y'all, too. I know y'all having struggles up in that part of the country, too. Yeah, we would take the sunshine. We'd also take some heat. That would be a good thing for us. Uh, i got Dave on with us right now down in Missouri. Dave, how you doing today? Good. How are you? Good. All right. So we heard about Eddie down in Kentucky, just rain, rain, rain. And I know when you head through Arkansas, there's kind of a line. I, I think to the north, you guys are catching rain. Are you catching rain up uh, towards St. Louis as well? I've been in field capacity probably uh, a week after I planted. Oh, wow. I planted on May the 2nd. So we've been rain, rain, rain. Catch a day here and there. Uh, we're raining today. We'll probably catch three quarters of an inch. We're about 81 degrees right now. So, yeah. So the crop Boy's that's in good, though. yeah the crop that's in the ground is it a little yellow then or is it is it doing okay it's and is not, it you know, it's 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 not bad I I I've got decent soil um, and it's not bad I I grow uh, my corn I'm a, I'm in the suburbs of St Louis County um, in a, in a very unusual area I, the corn that I grow is for the whiskey industry. Um, so I'm not looking for 300 bushels per acre. Um, if you can just put your mind around this, 2,000 pounds of corn makes 880 bottle fifths of, of finished whiskey. So what we're doing, what I'm doing in helping this couple of distilleries is we're growing corn for its flavor and it's not yellow corn. 
So I, I'm I'm doing a lot of work with red corn of my own variety, uh, and I got it from the Amish. Interesting. And it's it's um, in, if you've ever been, hey, I've hung around this one Amish family in northeast Nebraska, and they plant some red corn every time a person picks a red ear gets a piece of candy that night. So, it, and they have very strict rules on you can't reach to the other row. You can only pick in front of you. Um, so that's the corn I brought home, and I've been working with that. Um, I have a good friend who owns the distillery, and he is very well known for his blue corn whiskey and one of his reds, which is called Bloody Butcher Red. Mine's not Bloody Butcher Red. So there's there's a number of... of uh, we're going to see... You guys are going to see in the near future people growing other corn other than number two yellow corn. Yeah, I don't that's, know if you... That's awesome. And I, I like that there are other opportunities like this out there. And I, the other thing that I wanted to bring yeah. up too, Dave, you pointed out you're growing corn for its flavor. And, you know, for a lot of yeah. farmers who are just, like say, raising number two yellow corn, they're paid by the bushel. And so they're trying to do everything sure. they can to get more bushels. You're paid for yeah. flavor, and that is a whole different deal. So are you finding different nutrient combinations then and management practices to help influence that? Yeah. It's just like growing, trying to grow 300 bushel acre corn. You have to get the healthiest plant you can. You can't, you can't like back off on the on the K and get this flavor. Healthy plants make good flavors and repeatable flavors. Yeah, that repeatability is big. I know talking to a lot of farmers raising food crops, when they get big buyers, whether it's a restaurant chain or a supermarket chain, they want a consistent product and consistent flavor. Kudos to you, Dave, for paying attention to this and finding a market for yourself. Like you say, in the suburbs of St. Louis, eh, not exactly maybe the greatest place (laughs) or easiest place to grow corn, I should probably say, but if you can specialize like this, what an awesome deal. And, you know, for everybody who loves to drink some whiskey from time to time, uh, that's a pretty cool yeah. That's a pretty cool deal, too. It is. It is. Uh, Wood Hat Spirits is uh, the guy who has really, really gone on with this different colors of corn. And he, he's planting 15 different colors this year. Uh, but Wood Hat Spirits, they're in New Florence, Missouri. They're right in the middle of farm country. And he's got a couple of farmers around there that he's working with. Um, I, I tell my neighbors if they don't want to cut that three acres of, of grass, you know, that used to be a pasture in, in this sort of horsey area, I'll, I'll farm it. And when I'm done, I'll put it back in grass. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. And it, like you say, when you're shooting for a couple thousand pounds of corn to make 880 fifths of whiskey, uh, you can do that on, on little spots like this. Hey, Dave, we got to run. It's been great talking to you, though. We'll have to speak again sometime soon. Listening to Ag PhD Radio. Stay tuned. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. 
Choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with Vapor Grip technology to manage tough to control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. Imagine the perfect flow of grain from the field to the bin. Imagine a single rotor that ensures both quality and productivity. An advanced system that optimizes harvest settings on the go. You don't have to imagine with features like AFS Harvest Command, an axial flow combine from Case IH always delivers the perfect flow for your operation. Find out how. Talk to your Case IH dealer today. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's Mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Nozzles are your ideal choice for the Enlist E3 herbicide system. With coverage comparable to flat fans and with 90% less drift, ULD nozzles meet all required standards for Enlist applications and provide optimal performance of contact herbicides. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Did planting conditions stink on your farm this year? If you had trouble closing your seed trench, your planter needs Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. Don't let your planter disappoint you again. Fix the problem today. Order your germinators now at farmshopmfg.com. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window, makes life simple and it's the secure choice with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn swift simple secure veltima fungicide call your basf rep today always read and follow label directions veltima fungicide is not registered in all states welcome back you're listening to ag phd radio Broadcasting from the Morton studio today, getting a crop progress update, and we'd love to hear from you. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head down to Arkansas, and I'm really curious, is this going to be the rainy side of Arkansas or the dry side of Arkansas? Talking with Jeff here. Jeff, good to hear from you. Is there a part of Arkansas that is dry? I think so. I think there's a couple little spots out there. (laughs) I haven't talked to anybody yet, though. I keep hearing about rain, rain, rain. We are getting about maybe two work days out of seven. And um, then yesterday I was um, on the drill and watched it come over Crawley's Ridge and got off and could watch the rain gauge fill up. That's how hard it was. Uh, You know, Jeff, some people would say you got two work days out of seven. That doesn't sound so bad, but when you've got things that have to get done, like farming, which you need to be pretty timely with, that's got to be frustrating. Very frustrating, mainly since we had to PP all our corn and 
Um, so now we're got about 15% of our soybeans in and we still got 85% to go, which I'm not too worried about, but we did get all our rice in and, um, but I'm really disappointed. And I, after that call about the whiskey and the corn, I kind of want to plant red corn next year. But we got zero acres of corn in this year, and we did get all our rice in, and we will get all our beans in. Hey, talk to us about the rice, because uh, I've heard some guys in Arkansas talking about some of the grass species getting out of hand. They've had a tough time trying to get in to spray. Uh, are you noticing the weeds having a good year, even though it's been tough for, for farmers to get in the fields? Nutsage is terrible this year. Um, it's just I've I've not battled it like this since the late eighties, early nineties, and it's just it's terrible. But that's that's really it on grass for me. I know a couple of my neighbors are having a little bit more issues with some um, rye and some uh, some red rice and stuff like that. But they can't. There's really nothing to control red rice except rotation. So. Um, you know, it's just been, um, but nutsage this year has just been terrible. Oh. Did anybody get any corn in in your area? I know I've, I've talked to a few yeah. guys that got corn in, and they were worried about it too with, gosh, we've had frost, we've had rain just like crazy, and it, does the corn even look okay out there? Yeah, I got a neighbor west of me that got his in, and right now he's at uh, beef. 5v6 looks good he's uh, already on a second shot of uh, fertilization and the corn actually looks real good a little west of me a little bit sandier in my ground i got a lot of river bottom ground and um but he um his corn looks really good and then i have a neighbor that's got corn in that probably needs to be tilled under and planted in soybeans i mean it's just body coming up and you know we we had a lot of you know when they got it in then as soon as you get it in, you get a two, two and a half inch rain on it. And, you know, you're automatically back into replant and we're getting so late in the year, the replanting options are running very low. So it's going to be, I think a lot, a few acres are going to be tilled under and either PP or not PP, but failed crop. And um, either that or come back in with some soybeans on them. Yeah, it sure is a challenge on these wet years. Like you say, you get corn on sandy ground. Wow. Well, I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. We've got some sandy ground on our farm. We got some really heavy river bottom ground, and they are two different worlds. Even though they're not that terrible far apart, and a year like this, you're kind of happy you got a little sand in the mix. At least this far in the year. Maybe later you won't be so happy. Yeah, we better hope you have water. That's all I got to say. Absolutely. Um, um, but a lot of people we, we're recovering from damage from this weekend. Um, within a four mile radius of my farm, every pivot is upside down. Uh, we had some hundred hundred plus mile an hour winds come through, and it took all my neighbors out, took all mine out. You know, all our pivots are gone. So uh, the pivot guys are about to make a whole lot of money. But that's uh, that's about it right now. Well, Jeff, uh, well, I don't know what to tell you about that. That's uh, that's a tough deal. Those storms are, are nasty, and let alone the, the rains, you can't even get out there to do stuff. But sure hope you get a little better weather coming your way, a little more sunshine, and things turn out better than you'd hope they would. Well, I think we'll be okay, but I did have a question. For oh, you. sure. Go ahead. Um been reading an um, article and following up on a guy from Iowa, and then my neighbor started doing it this year, too. 
broadcast soybeans. Okay. Have y'all had any experience or know anybody that's been doing broadcast soybeans? You're talking about broadcasting the seed out there? Yes, sir. Sure. What they're doing is going in and field cultivating and broadcasting and coming back in with a uh, hipper bedder and pulling hipper beds and then uh, going with it. Yeah, and you can certainly do that. So we're from a state that many people would refer to as a cowboy state. And so I can just tell you a lot of our beans in the early days, well, I mean, even in the mid-1980s, we only had not even one-tenth the amount of soybean acreage that we do today here in South Dakota. So a lot of those first soybeans were broadcast. They were drilled. We even drilled a lot of beans on our farm for many years. And we would seed 250,000 out there to get a final stand of maybe 120, 150 at best. And, you know, that's a lot of times what we'll see with broadcast. Now, it won't be quite that bad. I mean, it doesn't have to be quite that bad, especially if, let's say, you get it packed down or whatever. But it, it's it's certainly not perfect. And here's the, here's the difference between now and the 80s. Seed cost. Seed cost today, you're going to spend 30 to maybe $50, especially if it's treated. You might be spending 50 bucks. Well, and by the time you figure it out for each seed, it's like, you know, I'm spending that much money on my seed. I'd kind of like it to grow. And we just get concerned about broadcasting out there. Yep, you can do it fast, but you're going to have some of those seeds that aren't planted at consistent depths. You're going to have uneven emergence. And ultimately what that's going to mean is you can't maximize your yield. So we're much bigger believers in putting those beans in rows of some sort. I don't care what your row width is necessarily, but having the seed depth consistent, having the seed spacing consistent, and you'll get a little bit higher yield. Now, yes, beans are way more forgiving than than corn and some other crops. So I'm not saying broadcast does not work. I'm simply saying it's hard to maximize your yield and maximize or and minimize your cost at the same time by doing that kind of seeding method. So you can certainly do it if you want to. If if let's say you have one day and you got two thousand acres that has to get done in one day or something, that's where some guys have gone to a system like that where they go, look, either I'm going to do this today or I'm not going to plant this year. I get it. And so sometimes as farmers we have to weigh those things out. But I'm just telling you, yeah, that would not be my first choice, but it can be done. Okay. All right. Um. All right, I appreciate it. You Thank bet. you. Hey, thanks for the call, Jeff. Let's head over to Kansas. We've got Ron with us right now. Ron, how are you today? We're doing pretty good, other than a little bit of too much water. Oh, I um, hear that. It, talk, talk to us about your soybeans. I heard you had some planted beans that got flooded out. Yeah, we planted a week ago today, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday last week. And then Sunday night got six inches of rain. Water went over them. Um some of them, the water went off in a day, and then there's some that the water's still on. How long can a bean stay underwater? Well, it's going to vary depending on how far are they, you know, were they germinated, how big are they, everything else. But obviously, if there's no, if it's solid water, there's no air, and the plants need air to live. So a lot of times, we're going to say probably two to three days and generally speaking, it's not a complete disaster. Now, you're up to three days, and if that water doesn't get off fairly soon, you may be in trouble. But the other thing is, you already mentioned there are pockets where, hey, the water did get off in a day. So even where there is water, 
maybe there is enough movement of the water that there's a little bit of air getting to them. And that's where, where I'm going with this. If you just said, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to literally submerge those beans in water for three days and they absolutely are going to get no movement of the water or air, yeah, they're probably dead. But in your case, you might luck out. So you can't do anything about it today anyway, unfortunately. So you're just going to have to sit back and see how it turns out. Let us know. But I'm going to assume a lot of your stuff is probably going to make it. Yeah, well, we had one field that was wheat stubble, and it just scoured the wheat all the way down to the dirt. And Tuesday, I looked, and that water got off right away. Yeah. And you could row them darn beans. Yep. They're real yellow, but you could roll them. Right. Yeah. And hopefully they'll be able to recover quick. Ron, if you got any more questions, just hang on. we got to take a quick break. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Oh, my goodness. Did you see Bob's gorgeous soybean rows? Um, totally. I couldn't believe how clean weed-free his entire field looked. I'm, like, so jealous. I heard he started using this new post-applied residual herbicide called Perpetuo. And it's burned down and long-lasting residual powers making his soybeans like literally the talk of the town. Ah, so Perpetuo's his secret. Yep. Talk to your retailer or visit valent.com slash Perpetuo to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy all the way down to the last drop agro liquid precision crop nutrition apply less expect more find a retailer at agroliquid.com before it's too late and white mold becomes a problem you need to ask your seed dealer for heads up seed treatment when raising soybeans in the midwest you know the risk of being caught unprepared As heard on AgPhD, there are several steps you can take prior to planting for a successful management plan against white mold. Compatible and cost-effective season-long protection starts now by asking your seed dealer to apply Heads Up to your 2020 bean seed order. For more information, visit HeadsUpST.com. How did planting go on your farm this year? Was everything perfect or did conditions stink, leading you to regret your planter's performance? If you had trouble closing your seed trench, your planter needs Germinator Closing Wheels from FarmShop MFG. Plus, with our late season discounts and free shipping, right now is the best time to upgrade. So don't let your planter disappoint you again. Fix the problem today. Order your Germinators now at FarmShopMFG.com. Corn and soybean growers are in a race against time when it comes to -to hard-to-kill weeds. Interline Herbicide from UPL works fast to eliminate some of the most challenging glyphosate-resistant weeds, including pigweed, waterhemp, mare's tail, and ragweed. Interline can be used as a burn-down treatment or as an over-the-top treatment in glufosinate-tolerant crops, including Liberty Link varieties. Ask your retailer or UPL sales representative about Interline, and always read and follow label directions. Hey Adam, new drone? Not just any drone. I mounted a laser on it to take out weeds. Look out for that tree! In the power lines! Oh, it's in for the house. There's a simpler way to protect spring wheat from weeds. Perfect Match Herbicide. The broadest spectrum weed and grass control in one product. Learn more at perfectmatchherbicide.com. Always read and follow label directions. 
the laser. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Getting a crop progress update, and it sounds like a lot of wet weather so far from what we've heard. We'd love to hear what's happening on your farm as well. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got Tom on with us right now down in Oklahoma. Tom, thanks for joining us. How are you? We aren't doing too bad. We aren't as wet as everybody else the way it sounds, but we can sure use some sunshine. How about you? Oh, it's it's so wet. We still we've actually got ruts in some fields left from last fall. It, I think we've had twenty three inches of rain so far this year. Wow. We just can't. We can't. Probably fifty percent or better of the corn got planted, but some even had anhydrous out didn't get the corn planted, and not a bean. I don't think there's a soybean been planted here. I'm in East, very eastern Oklahoma, right by the Arkansas border on the Arkansas River. And, it's it's just we we haven't had really good conditions all winter to get anything done. What what do pastures look like when you've got this? You got that much moisture. Do pastures look okay? Well, it's been cool and cloudy, and the Bermuda grass we've got it all sprayed and fertilized, but it hadn't had any growing degree units, so the Bermuda grass is just kind of sitting there. It's green, looks pretty, but it just we can't really get any growth. We keep moving cows around. It's just we we just haven't had any growing conditions. Wow. Does does anybody use gibberellic acid? I, I would think in Oklahoma that's something that probably hasn't been done a whole lot just from the standpoint that you guys are normally plenty warm by now. But in the north, we've been using gibberellic acid. Like, for example, uh, just talked to somebody in northwest Iowa earlier this week. They had put gibberellic acid on their grass a week ago, and they, they claimed they had six inches of growth in a week where they put the jib on versus where they didn't. We use gibberellic acid on rice to get to get you know to get it to grow but we've never tried it on anything else we we have used jib grow on rice in the past but uh yeah that and, would be to be honest be interesting it's had, come down in price this year too i think it's only i don't know four or five bucks an acre for for pasture spraying jib with we use rise up smart grass i know there's different products out there that one's i think rise up's a little more concentrated is probably why we've ended up settling on that one well, one problem we've had is, is I mean, honestly, you can't, an airplane's about the only, we got, we got over the pastures with a floater, but it's wow. been so wet, you know, you can't hold equipment up. Nope, I, I get it. Yeah, that's, that's it. Well, like you say, if you got ruts like, from last fall that are still out there, you know how it's been. Got a quick question. Sure. We always run Treff Lanner, Prowl, Syncor, and Valor. Can we run that, if we try to incorporate that valor lightly, will we streak it, or can we get away with incorporating it? You can absolutely incorporate it. That's exactly what we do on our own farm. Because we've always worried that we, would, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't get good even distribution of it, but then you get the splash effect. 
we could incorporate yep. it. We could just run everything and run like a triple K or a field coil yeah. with a crumbler or something. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. We've done that many, many times as we'll run out there with Valor. Uh, in fact, our guys should be spraying some, I don't know, either today or tomorrow and working it in and doing that exact mix like what you're talking about there. So, no, it works fine. I mean, the only thing that I would tell you is what we do is we'll run a field cultivator and we run it relatively shallow and we go fast. I always tell guys, go as fast as you possibly can. That way I know you can't get it too deep. The faster you run, usually, then you spread it out a little bit better, and you have to make sure that you've got stuff adjusted. I mean, we've seen it in the past where guys have sweeps that aren't covering what the next one left, and, I mean, there are gaps in between. Well, then, yes, you're going to have some streaking. So as long as you've got the machine adjusted right, you got relatively new parts on there and stuff, I'm not too worried about it. I, I think you'll do great. Good. Because we we wanted to have all this out two months ago, and now it's right down to the wire. So it, sure. And like I say, we've got ruts anyway, so we're going to have to work it. Yep. Yep. Well, all just right. send us some of your good weather, and we'll send you some rain and clouds. Uh, all right, it's on the way, Tom. We just we'll just save that <laughs> rain and clouds for uh, late July here. We'll take we'll take that. But hey, thanks a lot, Tom. Well, we, really really appreciate it. Okay. Have a good day. Thank y- you. You bet. You too. Let's get to Brad here in central Iowa right now. Brad, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. How about you guys? Good, good. So uh, what's happening on your in your area? Well, um, we've had some rain, but, uh, you know, for the most part, all the crops have been planted here, so things look pretty good. Uh, we feel pretty fortunate, I guess. So we had some early frost on the early planting. Kind of come out of that, but it's uh, kind of caused for some uneven stand, if you will. But uh, for the most part... Um, Knock on wood, we're feeling pretty good where we're at right now. Now, I know there's a lot of guys in our area that are starting to work on the post-emerge weed control. How about where you're farming? Yeah, yeah, we are definitely, uh, we're over halfway through, so we've got about 600 acres left to do um, the later planting. But the early stuff, uh, got it sprayed before this uh, big go-around of rain, and uh, that seems to be working pretty good. Stuff was just emerging, so got that sprayed, and and uh it got another opportunity to actually go out and scout and look at the crops too while we're doing that so good to do and we've been looking at the other half now here trying to time out with uh drying out what uh when we'll be back out there spraying what about nutrient applications uh, what's your game plan this year do you put a lot of the n out up front or you've been saving that for in crop yeah good question so we uh we do um anhydrous so we do uh fall so we got everything on uh last fall except for our river bottom ground and so we don't put that on in case we get early spring flooding but uh, that was the only real heavy or major amount of spring planting that we did uh the big thing that we did new this year is we put uh in furrow starter uh on the planter and we're definitely seeing advantage of that with this kind of lengthy cool period we're having so we're seeing real good response to that it seems like uh, we've got some areas where we, of course, left it off, and you can really tell to the row what uh, what impact that's having. Wow. Yeah, that's great. I, I always encourage farmers, do some trial work yourself because you won't believe it unless you see it with your own eyes on your own ground. And, well, like you were talking about the river bottoms, you got some upland ground, you got some low ground. So you got some reason to do that, too, putting more fertility out right as you're needing it. Yes, totally agree with that. And then it's just also, you know, with uh, seems like we're 
Last year we planted early and that definitely paid. This year we planted some ground really early and uh, that probably was not a good move. Uh, it, it took a little bit more effort to get out of the ground with the cooler temperatures. And then we're pretty much corn on corn. Actually, we're about 80% corn on corn acres this year. So having that fertility there ready for the seedling to kind of transition over to uh, without needing the mineralization. So I think there's a real benefit to that. So how do you handle the residue then? If you've got that much continuous corn, is residue an issue? Is it tillage? Are you using biologicals? Are you chopping silage? What what happens with your residue? Yeah, so residue for us is uh, we do um, a fall uh, vertical till or a disc and then um, and anhydrous in the fall. So it does a little bit more residue processing. But uh, this year... Uh, with the late season that we had last fall, you know, everybody was combining right up to the last and our fellows friends up further north are still kind of finishing this spring. But, um, you know, having the lack of breakdown made a lot more heavy residue this spring. So one of the things we're looking at, okay, so the other thing we do tillage-wise, we run the field cultivator before we plant. And that's just to kind of warm up the soil, uh, take out any weeds that are potentially coming. Uh, but this year, uh, we're thinking that uh, it would be interesting to try a biological to do something with helping enhance some of that residue breakdown because uh, we do have a heavy cover. Now that things are warming up, that's actually a good thing. It's helped with the erosion, so it's kind of a balance. Uh, but we definitely think there's something there that we should probably look at and pursue and see if we can get a benefit to that. Interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of different things out on the market today when when it comes to that. And you mentioned the biological space. Wow, there's been so many new products. Uh, hey, Brad, hang on just a second because I'm going to have our producer catch you offline. We're trying a few different biologicals, and I just want to maybe compare some notes here. We're talking about the crop progress around the country. We would love to hear how things are going on your farm. You can call us at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. Oh my goodness, did you see Bob's gorgeous soybean rows? Um, totally. I couldn't believe how clean and weed-free his entire field looked. I'm like, so jealous. I heard he started using this new post-applied residual herbicide called Perpetuo, and it's burned down and long-lasting residual powers making his soybeans like literally the talk of the town. Ah, so Perpetuo's his secret. Yep. Talk to your retailer or visit valent.com slash Perpetuo to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic herbicides from Atticus LLC. Tough broadleaf weeds are a hassle, but they're no match for Cavallo from Atticus. Cavallo delivers fast, contact, and residual control so your corn, soybean, and sorghum crops can thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. 
You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. Corn and soybean growers are in a race against time when it comes to hard-to-kill weeds. Interline Herbicide from UPL works fast to eliminate some of the most challenging glyphosate-resistant weeds, including pigweed, waterhemp, mare's tail, and ragweed. Interline can be used as a burn-down treatment or as an over-the-top treatment in glufosinate-tolerant crops, including Liberty Link varieties. Ask your retailer or UPL sales representative about Interline, and always read and follow label directions. If you're looking to get the most out of your foliar nutrition and fungicide programs, ask your ag retailer about Nutex EDA from Sipcam Agro. Nutex EDA has been proven to increase foliar micronutrient tissue levels and maintain those levels for an extended period of time. When tank mixed with fungicides, Nutex EDA helps support plant health, resulting in higher quality and yields. Nutex EDA is an affordable and effective solution that should be part of every grower's high yield toolbox. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Getting a crop progress update from around the country. We'd love to hear from you. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. And we've got a bunch of questions that have come in for the Ag PhD mailbag, too. i uh, got a couple responses, Brian. You had mentioned about mowing off corn to even up emergence and thought you were thinking about trying that. Well, Rick sent a comment in. He said, just let Brian know that mowing off corn to even up emergence works. I did it a couple of years ago on one acre just to see what would happen. Wish I would have done it all. Something you should try. I set my mower as low as possible. Then got another comment, this one from Jeremy in southeastern Illinois. And he said, um, I, I like Brian's idea of burning the uneven corn down and getting it all the same stage. If you follow through with your trial, I'd love to hear what happens. And then Jeremy also had another question. He said you were talking about fungicide for wheat on Monday's show. We typically spray a fungicide in wheat at herbicide timing and at heading. But my question is, if flag leaf is actually the optimal time, should we do a fungicide then instead of doing one at herbicide timing, or do we really need to do it three times? Well, you might need to do it three times. So I would just tell you, like on our farm, we are absolutely doing it three times. You can see and and try things out, and that's what we always talk about here is just try it out, see if you prove it out over time. But like we said yesterday, the problem with spraying fungicide is you can't scout and then spray. You have to spray and just see how it turns out. So what we talked about is, all right, I'd, I'd take a look at what's the value of the crop, what's my yield potential, certainly, but then it comes back to, have you had a history of disease? Or is there disease in your area? Do you have a susceptible variety? And do you have the weather conditions that are right? So if I had drought, bad drought, it was super hot and dry, I'm going, you know, I don't think I'm going to spend the money. But if I have cooler, damper conditions, and I'm thinking, you know, I could actually end up with pretty good yield here and my price isn't terrible, then yeah, I might do it if I don't have to spend an arm and a leg. So it all comes back to how much you're going to spend and what do you think you can get back on it. But 
my point with the the flyleaf and really our whole talk with flyleaf fungicides and why we wanted to spend a whole show on it yesterday was because at flyleaf that's when we see typically the most yield response but that's when the fewest number of people spray most people spray at herbicide timing because it's super easy and it's really cheap. You're going to run with a half rate. You're going to spend two to five bucks an acre and you're already out there spraying anyway. So you might as well throw it in. I, I mean, that's an absolute no brainer. I'm doing that every single time, always. Then you get to heading and a lot of people spray at heading because they have rust, like especially stripe rust. That's terrible. And then also head scab. You get that one time and you could pay for your fungicide for 10, 20 years. So a lot of people just automatically spray at heading and I get that. But the flag leaf timing, we just think that gets neglected and you absolutely could do it. So I'd encourage you maybe try a little bit and just see, is it paying and, and do this over a few years. But again, I'm going to come back to, do I really think economically I can make it based on this, this year's weather conditions, susceptible variety, that kind of thing. All right. Thanks for those comments and questions. Really appreciate that. Uh, got one in, Brian. This is about corn. He said, the corn in my area is just not right. It smells like or it smelled like a chemical in late March, and we started to see some trees and plants start wilting and even dying. Seems like that same chemical must have caused symptoms that that mimic a lot of diseases in the tree. So it kind of looked like a wilt almost. Just wonder if we have any ideas what that could have been early spring. Well, whoa, whoa, whoa. You said my corn. Yeah, he what? said, okay, so. You, you said, really lost me here. Okay, so he said his corn, something's not right with the corn. Okay. They're seeing some wilting out there in the corn. They're seeing also trees around the field. That's where I was getting confused. Or even even dying a little bit. Okay, so this is not a tree question. And it smells like a chemistry (laughs) that was put out there. What could it be? One thing that I would think about is 2,4-D. Yep. That, that would be, you know, a lot of times early spring, and, and you must be further south than us if you were smelling that and seeing that in corn already in March. But a, a lot of times if there's something like that going on, I think about what's happening around me in neighboring fields. 2,4-D is one of those things that it could be. I don't know. It's hard It's hard to know. I, I would ask the neighbors around if I smelled something like that, saw something like that happening, I, I'd start asking neighbors within a mile of that field, hey, who was spraying? What were they spraying? What happened out here? Is there a possibility something got sprayed in the wrong field or, or whatnot? But if you're seeing trees that are getting hurt outside the field, chances are it's something that maybe had some, some volatility and some drift, and 2,4-D would be my guess. Uh, thanks for the question. Really appreciate that. I uh, got one from Randy here in Southern Illinois. said, I recently moved my, sp- oh boy, this sounds like you, Brian. I recently moved my spraying operation to a different location with a different water source. This one has a private well. Now, before I relocated, I was on treated water or a county water system. But since I've moved, it seems like all my fields I've sprayed are slow to for the weeds to die. They're not doing a very good job, even on grass and Johnson grass, which I've done pretty well on in the past. I've, I just took a water sample, sending it to Midwest labs, uh, getting the, the water analysis plus hardness. In the meantime, I've been adding twice as much ammonium sulfate. It seems to have helped a little bit. I'm wondering what would you do? What would you be looking for? It looks like I might have to respray some acres. Okay, so we've been talking a lot about water here in the last couple of years and all the issues that we're seeing around the country, in part because of there are a lot of farmers not just using well water anymore and getting different types of well water. But anyway, 
what what most likely is going on here is you just have really hard water. Calcium, magnesium, and that ammonium sulfate isn't enough to tie it up. What we've been using is a product called Water Right. It costs maybe 20 cents an acre is what we're spending uh, figuring 10 gallons of water per acre. So it's not very much. And that'll neutralize a lot of the excess calcium, magnesium, iron, and copper that are in there. It'll also lower your water pH a little more than what ammonium sulfate will do. So we're using that in addition to ammonium sulfate. So if it was me, I'd cut back on my ammonium sulfate. You'll save more than enough to uh, to invest in something like water right or you know some other uh, some other hard water product like that. And that's what I would do. Most likely, that is what what's happening to you. All right. Thanks for the question. Got uh, well, a couple things here. One, what do you think about Roundup and the safety around soil microbes? This is a question from Barry. You know, a lot of the Roundup applications, well, every Roundup application is being made above ground. The soil microbes that we're concerned about are below ground. And we've done some pretty high rates of Roundup for many, many years we really haven't seen a big problem on our farm. Okay, so we have done a couple of years of testing of really, 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 really ridiculously high rates of Roundup in small areas just to see what would happen in terms of nutrient uptake especially. Have we seen any difference? No. Nope, we haven't. And so here's one way you could test this. Find a lab that will test microbes and then go out and put a, <laughs> I can't legally tell you to do this, but I would just say a really, really, really ridiculously high rate of Roundup on the ground a little bit, just in a little spot, and then send that soil in and send the other soil in. And I'm sure that the microbes are going to be just fine in the treated versus the untreated. No, we do not think there's any impact on the soil microbes whatsoever. Roundup is basically neutralized by soil. Once it hits the soil, it's done. All right. Uh, I got, got some feedback from Steve. He said uh, he did a weed of the week with absinthe wormwood, and now I see reports that absinthe wormwood may help be part of the solution with the coronavirus, so maybe you don't want to kill it. You know, Steve, that's that's nice feedback. I appreciate it because I think there is a beneficial use for most plants. Yep. The question is, where are those plants being grown? Right. And if you've got absinthe wormwood taking over part of your cornfield, all of a sudden your corn yield goes down and we're not harvesting that absinthe wormwood. So, if, yes, if we're, we're not suggesting wipe it off the face of the earth. Just get it out of our corn and soybean fields and we'd be happy. <laughs> yeah, or wheat or whatever crop we're raising. And that's one of the things. I, I'll, I'll, I'll say this to you. What was his name again? Steve. Steven? Steve. Okay. Steve, I, I would just say this. You find a market for us farmers, and if that market is to produce abs absinthe wormwood, I will promise you we can produce it, and we can over oversupply that market real fast. So the problem today is nobody's willing to pay for absinthe, absinthe wormwood that I know of. I, I know I can't get it sold off my farm. So until I can get it sold off my farm, it's still going to be a weed. And even we think about corn is the number one cash crop for a lot of Midwestern United States farmers. Well, corn is the number one weed that I want to kill in my soybeans. So that's, that's basically where Darren was going with this. If we could raise an actual field of absinthe wormwood and make money on it, we would by all means do it. Yep. Thanks for the feedback, Steve. There's a lot of different plants out there and yeah, whatever ones, I agree with you, Brian, whatever ones we can produce and make a living doing, we're, we're happy to do that. Got a crop progress update from around the country today. Hopefully you enjoyed that and, and definitely send some prayers out for a little drier weather for a lot of the people who called in for sure. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.